0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold and happy August 1. I cannot believe we're in our third month of the summer, but it's it's all good. I've got a great show. Patrick's going to join me in just a minute. And then special guest, we're not going to do the Monday afternoon mix today. Instead, I've got Denise Uwimana. You're, you're supposed to pause. Uwimana. She's got an amazing story of survival in, from Rwanda. And that's going to be uh, coming up next. And then Ken Samples is going to join me from reasons.org. We're going to talk about the two books metaphor in Christian history, one being the book of nature, which is God's world, and the book of scripture, which is God's word. That's going to be what's on tap for today. I'm glad to have Patrick with me to get things started. Patrick, I'm going to quote an old Roman poet, Horst, who so who said, mingle a little folly with your wisdom. A little nonsense now and then is pleasant.
1: Hey, hey, Horace said that. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, I I used to I used to keep track of a lot of his quips. It's a hymn, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I I think I wanted to say Horace, but I think it's horse. Horse. I think it is. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't I, pay attention in that class.
1: You know, I it, isn't it funny? Did you ever have that big, thick book of Bartlett's quotations? Oh yeah, love that book. I, I did too, and you know, it's it's funny that you could you could sometimes just sit down with that thing for uh, well over minutes at a time. I was going to say hours, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you would say, you know, what did Marcus Aurelius say about? Anything, right? You, you you kind of didn't care, and then you know, occasionally, if you were putting together, let's say you were working in an event of some kind, and you said, "I need some, you know, words of wisdom." Yeah, and so you'd, you'd grab something that Mark Twain said, you know, the, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, or you know that kind of stuff, right? And it, it was such a it was such a wonderful time because you you, you knew that when you went to an event. Or anything, and you would drop these pearls of wisdom. It made you look really smart. <laughs> <laughs> you looked clever, and you knew that other people hadn't done the work because it was actual physical labor. It was a big, expensive book. I still have it on the shelf. Uh, and uh, but you know, these days everything's at your fingertips. And so, as soon as somebody says, you know, as, as the famous poet Horace says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know, I know all about Horace." Tell me something I don't know. Right. You don't get pearls of wisdom dropped on you anymore. We all know everything.
0: That's true. That's true. Here's another quote. I don't know who said it, but laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there's less cleaning up to do afterwards.
1: (laughs) You know something funny? I, I was just reading an article about Hugh Beaumont. Uh, that name should mean something to you, right? Well, uh, Mr. Cleaver. Mr. Cleaver. Ward Cleaver. And, and uh, he had been giving acting advice to somebody who said, you know, uh, I have to cry in in, in a scene. And uh, Hugh, Hugh Beaumont asks, you know, have you ever done that before? And and this actress says, no. He said, OK, well, do this. Uh, Bury your face in your hands and laugh hysterically. They won't be able to tell the difference, and the guy pulled it off.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great.
1: I bet you didn't find that one in Bartlett's quotation. No.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Ward Cleaver, we lost Wally Cleaver, or or, uh, Wally over the weekend. Uh, Tony Dow passed away at age 77 from cancer. Yeah. And I got to read a quote from his son, Chris. Who was by his bedside when he died and he said he was the best dad anyone could ask for. He was my coach, my mentor, my voice of reason, my best friend, my best man in my wedding,
1: and my hero. Wow. Isn't that lovely? So you tell me, do you want people saying that about you or do you want them pointing to your statues? Mm, I would prefer that. Yeah, yeah, I had a a, a friend, he, he died about 10 years ago, uh, and uh, he was a sound mixer in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, I knew he had won some Emmys, and I remember going to his house once expecting to see, you know, Emmys on display. Because I had been to Sam Simon's house once, and he had a whole trophy room of Emmys that he had won for Simpsons and Tracy Ullman, and a bunch of these other shows. So I thought, well, my friend Jim. Jim's going to have, you know, his Emmy's on display, and I couldn't find him. And I said, Jim, where's where's that Emmy? Didn't you just win an Emmy? Where is it? He says over there, and I look, and it's a doorstop. <laughs> <laughs> he was used. I said, it's a doorstop. He says, it's a very good doorstop. Yeah, Those things are heavy. Probably <laughs> a a good.
0: Good perspective. So Tony Dow's wife said um, that Tony. Was such a kind man. He had such a huge heart. And I've never heard Tony say a bad or negative thing about anyone. And then Jerry Mathers, who of course is and was the beaver, said not only was he my brother on TV, but in many ways in life as well. Tony leaves an empty place in my heart that won't be filled. He was always the kindest, most generous, gentle, loving, sincere, and humble man that it was my honor and privilege to be able to share memories together for 65 years.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know, but okay. I mean, I know you can easily be duped by watching a show and you get this impression of, say, the performers and the actors and say, oh, that looks like a nice person. You say, well, you know, I mean, come on. It's Wally Cleaver. You know, he played a nice guy. Mm And So, you know, the older you get, the more you expect to hear stories that maybe in real life some of these people weren't so sweet. So it's nice to know that your initial impression of Wally Cleaver, you know, was exactly what it was 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 who he was.
0: Yeah, it's pretty you sweet.
1: Know, gee, Wally! I mean, just how many times, did, you know, I, I don't think you could have an episode of that show without um, without Jerry Mathers saying, "Gee, Wally," you know, <laughs> "Gosh, Wally," you know, <laughs> such a simple time.
0: Yeah, I think Wally had some turtles in the in his room. And Beaver would want to borrow some turtle dirt from the little turtle pond, and then put it in the bathtub to create the illusion that he took a bath.
1: <laughs> so those were the story plots. Yeah, I know, I know. What what kind of mayhem can Jerry? <laughs> what kind of mayhem can 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 Beaver get into? Let's have him steal some of Wally's turtle dirt. Yeah. Oh no, this. They're going to be – people are going to be very upset about that, <laughs> very upset.
0: So funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I And you hear these nice stories, and I so I look up, and I go, well, wait, what? I know they went back, and he did a little bit of acting. But, you know, back then, you know, somebody would do their acting thing, and the great majority of them from at least our era of childhood, you know, just went on and did normal things. right. Um, so I said, well, well, what did the, what did the cast of Leave it to Beaver do? And, uh, so, uh, Jerry Mathers, the Beaver, he, uh, worked as a loan officer and then he uh, decided to invest in real estate. Cause I guess he saw this, wait a minute, why am I loaning the money? I should be borrowing the money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and of course, Tony Dowd, he was a sculptor did, you know, they, they did some acting together. Yeah. Ken Osmond, who played... Um, you know, Eddie the Haskell, filmmaker, right? yeah, Eddie Haskell, LA Police Department, right?
0: That's a lovely house dress you're wearing, Mrs. Cleaver.
1: <laughs> and then Hugh Beaumont, did you know that Hugh Beaumont studied theology? I did know and that. That was his first, yeah, his first calling, and uh. But uh, it, you know, people said he was kind of you know he played the preacher on the set a lot. He was always the guy you went to. Yeah. And when the show wasn't taping, he went to Minnesota. Do you know what he did after it ended?
0: Mm, I do remember. I, I do. I, I
1: heard, but I've forgotten. What What do you do? Grand Rapids, Minnesota, Christmas tree farmer. Okay.
2: Wow. Now that, that's
1: not a, that's not really the kind of thing you'd say. Okay, so you were you were quite a famous person. Yeah. And now you're out here and you're Clark Griswolding is in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Barbara Billingsley kind of stayed in the acting thing. Mm-hmm. But, so, you know, all of them just sort of went on with their lives. And, you know, I don't know all the details. You know, maybe there's you know kind of a letdown um, after being famous. but uh, But maybe not. Maybe we had everybody had things in a little bit more perspective back then. And now, coincidentally, since we have made being a famous celebrity sort of the ultimate, and, and that is what people— that's the altar people worship at. When it ends, they, it doesn't end well for them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that sad? Yeah. It's, yeah.
0: Well, speaking of Tony Dow's humility, I will share some humility today. I'm driving um, today, and I see this truck— and i'm i oftentimes find myself challenged uh when i see a truck with tools on the back that i have no idea what they do yeah. and then and i don't recognize any of them and then painted on the truck are services i don't even understand <laughs> it's like i will i will give up my man card right now yeah yeah, yeah. and and the service was like pre coding Well. pre why Why are you pre-coating Why don't you just coat it? Oh, yeah. Well, and what's getting pre-coated? I don't even know.
1: There's under, yeah, there's undercoating. There's overcoating. Yeah, that's something you wear. Pre-coating. Is yeah. that, that's the sweater you put on before you put the coat on. <laughs> <laughs> or is that just pulling the sleeves? I don't even, does this guy just come over and write the sleeves on your jacket? <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't know. All I could think of was, was pre-wash. You know, you hear about the pre-wash, and I think, well... The pre wash is when it's on the floor before it goes into the washing machine. That's pre wash.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are about to be washed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me take a break. We'll come back more with Patrick Albany's my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. How about a little banjo music, Rosie? Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, confirm and with the flowers, consult and with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Patrick Albanese is my friend. I always like starting the week on a little bit of a lighter note. A merry heart is like good medicine. Patrick is a comedian and a friend for a long time. And Patrick, here's another quote that I loved. And it's from Harper Lee, who wrote the book To Kill a Mockingbird. She said, mm-hmm. it's never an insult to be called what somebody thinks is a bad name. It just shows you how poor that person is. It doesn't hurt you.
1: That's lovely. It is lovely. It's hard to do, though. Yes, it is. You know, isn't it strange that um, the closer somebody is to you, almost the less that stuff hurts. And the more you don't (laughs) know somebody, the more the the more that kind of stings.
0: I don't get that.
1: I my my thoughts on it would be you know well you, you go if it's a stranger saying something you say is that what people really think of me when they first see me <laughs> whereas somebody close to you if they say something that's harmful you say oh you're just trying to hurt me mm-hmm. you know we we don't we don't think that about the stranger as much uh, by the way just I just want to throw back to our previous talk about topic about Leave It to Beaver because you know that show was oh, gosh fifties or so. Right, late fifties, early sixties. Yesterday was George George Jetson's birthday, actual birthday.
0: So the day he was born. Okay, so the cartoon character was projected to be born on July thirty first, twenty twenty
1: two. Yes. Because they made the show in 20, uh, 1962, and they said, oh, how long is it going to take to get all these flying spaceships and everything else? About <laughs> ah, about 100 years? <laughs> so they made it 2062, and I guess George was uh, 42 years old. Oh,
0: wow. That's so, a fun little... Uh, that's yeah, yeah. that's yeah. an odd fact known by a few for a good yeah, reason.
1: Yeah. yeah, when I first saw it, I said, okay, so it's his birthday. I've never celebrated George Jetson's birthday before. <laughs> and then they said, no, 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 the actual day. The actual day somewhere... On planet Earth, yesterday, George Jetson was born. Oh. And so that uh, little outdoor treadmill on the space station, you take your dog, coming soon.
0: Yeah. Well, I got a nice note from a listener that uh, in the Grand Rapids area, a lot of the locals from Grand, from the Rapids still remember Hugh Beaumont.
1: Really? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So you, you, you'd go to, you know, Ward Cleaver's, Christmas tree farm. Would, yeah. would that throw you? You, I'm, know, so you said, I'm going to go pick up a Christmas tree. And then Ward Cleaver comes out and says, can I help you, son?
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty weird.
1: It would be. Yeah. 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 But that's, I think uh, I think the teen
0: idol Bobby Sherman was a paramedic. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of young girls that were thinking, I'm going to pretend I need help. <laughs> Send Bobby Sherman.
1: Yeah, Julie. Wait, wait no, that wasn't. It was his song? Julie, 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 do you love me? I can't remember now. You're losing I'm sure me. We had a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
0: lost you. All right. Speaking of things that are hard to understand, I read over the weekend because sometimes it's fun to see what goes on over the weekend and then talk about it on Monday. That yeah. Elon Musk's dad is not necessarily proud of him. Not very proud of his boy, Elon. I don't know, you're only the mm, richest man in the world.
1: (laughs) Wow, yeah. Oh, your mother and I, you know, hey, we we were hoping for so much more. (laughs) He's got siblings, right?
0: Yeah, he's got, he's more proud of one of his kids who's a a restaurateur, whose wealth is only in the hundreds of millions, so. But anyway, you know.
1: Yeah, I I just, I can't imagine if you're just, you know, one of the siblings that, uh, you know, maybe just has... In ordinary life, you think, okay, so Dad's not proud of Elon. Hey, what's he thinking of me? <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> you know, this might, this might be a bad time to say, hey, Dad, could I borrow 100 to pay the rent? Yeah. Wow.
0: Now, Patrick, you were recently in Arizona. When you were there on vacation, did you go swimming in the ocean?
1: Uh, I did not. It hasn't made it yet. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, we did go to a water park. Uh, I, first we walked in and I thought, look at all these people with their shoes on. Uh, soon I had shoes on. <laughs> Cause the pavement
0: was cooking your feet, but I saw, See, I saw yeah, that there were, no fire. uh, 57 people got bit by sharks. So there's a lot of more people biting, uh, getting bit by sharks, which I find very scary. But, uh, last year, New Yorkers bit 1600 people. So you're more likely to get bit by a New Yorker than you are a shark.
1: That's, yeah, because I think statistically speaking, where do you want to take your chances? <laughs> on the subway? I, <laughs> or on the surfboard. I'd rather be on the surfboard, appearing to look like the dinner.
2: Surfboard.
1: Yeah, now, the, 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 to me, so what would you do, though? If you're on a surfboard, you're not going to surf alone. You don't, you don't want to be the only morsel out there. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so... Chances are you're going to hang in a crowd and thinking, well, you know, I mean, like I, I have spindly little calves. I'm sure a shark would pass me by and say, I am, you know, if, if I weren't as hungry as I am, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I don't know if I told you this. I decided, you know, fill out the donor card and I'm donating my body to science provided they never take off the leg warmers because I never <laughs> – Never want people to see how diminutive my calves are.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah but when when you uh, go in the water, though, I mean, people have been enjoying the ocean life and the ocean uh, s- swimming activities for centuries. And now all of a sudden yeah. you hear all these reports. And I don't know if it's just the way news spreads, but I would get pretty nervous myself taking a short little uh, dip into the ocean
1: Yeah, I lived in Florida for uh, four years, um, and we've gone back a few times, and I will go into the ocean there. Uh, 21 years in Los Angeles, I never set foot in the water. If I can't see in it, I'm not going in it. Uh, I just assume there's something waiting to get me. And uh, I don't know, you know, do you think it's just that many more people are using the beach as the vacation spot, especially, you know, okay, we've had a very hot summer. Do more people hit the water? Uh, is it when you think about it, the beach is the cheapest vacation you can do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I mean, if you uh, unless you have to fly to one, but uh, you know, instead of in you know, an amusement park. Uh, when I lived in California, you know, if you live there now, I think a Disneyland ticket is about hundred and thirty, hundred and forty dollars. Uh, we stopped by Universal Studios and, you know, the, they said we can get you an express pass. So you only have to wait three hours to get on a, uh, a ride. Wow. And uh, that'll cost for the family for uh, $1,800. Really? I included chicken nuggets. I said, that better be gold. With, with <laughs> dipping <laughs> sauce? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with the dipping sauce. Okay. Trace the dipping sauce. You can get the honey mustard or the barbecue. They didn't okay. get much. And we're out. But uh, so, uh, you know, you take a family of four to say Disneyland for the day, $1,000. Easily you can get to $1,000. You can get to, you know, it's almost 150 to get in. Parking will be 30 or $40, and then you eat. So do people say, oh, we'll just go to the beach. And with yeah. more people hitting the beaches, does that just become more of an attraction for sharks? <laughs> I, I don't you know. know. I don't know. It's all you can. all you can eat buffet. It's unbelievable. They just keep filling it. Yeah. A, I don't know, but I I don't like the I don't like sharks. I'm not a fan. Um. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. That's not. Uh, I, I watched Jaws, and that was enough for me. That kept me out of everything but a swimming pool, and just the just the shallow end.
0: Well, I don't think I took a bath for about eight months. It was showers only, after seeing oh. Jaws. Because you yeah. know, if you remember when it was uh, when it came out, every seat to every show was sold out. So I yes. was I was sitting, uh, and this stranger next to me on my left, this woman, uh, drilled her fingernails into my arm when the head like popped out of the the hull.
1: Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I was, I got <laughs> kicked in the head by the guy behind me when the head came out of the hole. <laughs> he had his apparently had his feet up on the back of my seat, unbeknownst to me. The head came out and he does it. I got kicked, which could explain a lot of the problems <laughs> to this day. Yeah. I got kicked a second time. Uh, oh, when the, you when the shark jumped out of the water, when uh, Richard Dreyfus is just saying, what am I doing throwing all this chum in the water? For? Right. Oh.
0: Now in the movies, you sit in barca loungers and they bring you uh, food
1: at your table. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard yeah. about it's those anyway. Tech, I just melted up there. That's interesting. More fries, please. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I, we've been watching some old movies with my kids, and uh, we'll watch, like, say, a, a, you know, a, a movie that has suspense in it where you don't see much, and uh, we'll watch a Terminator, and then we'll watch the sequels, and they'll say the first one is scarier. I said, how can that be? The stop-motion animation was terrible. They said, that's what was frightening about it. Oh. And they said, and you know, he, it, it's it's just one guy. Mm-hmm. Every time they do these movies, and they have 152 aliens coming after you, you become these are young kids saying this. They become completely. They said we're numb to it. Yeah, it's nothing but one hidden monster. Oof. Now I'm scared.
0: Yeah. So a listener, Rosella, said a friend told me that she saw a documentary on sharks. They said often sharks aren't really attacking, just tasting.
1: Oh, I know people like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave it there. Patrick, thanks for joining me today, and have a great rest of the day. Thanks, you too. You bet. When we come back, Denise Yuwimana will be my guest. She's written a book called From Red Earth, a Rwandan story of healing and forgiveness. That's next.
1: Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's
2: the Afternoon Show
0: with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. We're taking a little bit of a detour from the Monday afternoon mix because I had an opportunity to have a very special guest with me today right here in studio, Denise Uwimana. She uh, is a Rwandan survivor of the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda in 19... 19- She became a widow when she lost her husband and most of her relatives. Uh, She was threatened with death almost daily during her 100 years of horror. She's written a book that is called From Red Earth, A Rwandan Story of Healing and Forgiveness. Welcome, Denise.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Now, you are a survivor of the genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda, and you were uh, born and raised in a Christian family. Um, How did your faith and hope, how did you hold your faith and hope together, being uh, surrounded by extremist Hutu?
2: Yes, I was born in a Christian family, and my parents helped us to listen to the Word of God, and I get also, uh, I was able to go to the Sunday school, but the most first basic um, Christian education, I got it in my family. But uh, that was not enough because when I grew up, I was curious and I wanted to build my own relationship with Jesus. And um, it was not uh, easy, but I kept... Really, to seek refuge to God, and um, when I married my husband, uh, I was in Rwanda. Uh, it was in nineteen ninety-seven when I was when I married in Rwanda, and after two and uh, half years in Rwanda, there was a war. When the war started. My husband was put into prison. I was uh, surrounded, of course, uh, by uh, Hutu neighbors, but it was a very hard time uh, because at that time no one was allowed to come to visit me freely at my home. And uh, I was also isolated. There was someone who was behind the, the gate who was controlled all people who visited me But as my faith was in with with Jesus, I took my refuge to Jesus. I prayed, and uh, many uh, times God spoke to me through Bible verses, uh, through dreams. And uh, once he talked to me through a Hutu. This Hutu was uh, one of my prayer group, and I met him on the road, and he told me, Denise, I have a message of, uh, for you. And I was curious to know what kind of the message he wants to give me. Because at that time, from um, uh, 6th uh, October to beginning of the genocide, there was a war in Rwanda. And um, my husband was uh, put into prison. He spent there five months half. And um I was always expecting that he will be released and he will come again at home and we can s- stay together as a family and this man told me the message he said to me God told me you you still have many problems but God said he will protect you and what a man, a person cannot do it f- to do for you, God will do it for you. For me, I was not happy about the message. I was expecting, ah, oh, God will say, now there will be peace in the country, no war, your husband will come, and you will stay together again. But the message which I got, it was a true message. But I will say that I kept my refuge to God, and I always praying, fasting, asking. It was not easy because I was isolated, but this is what helped me to keep my faith. It's from my education I got from my parents, and also during the hard time, God did not let me alone. I was many times treated by my neighbors, who came to me, want to tell me, Denise, we can help you in this way, in this way. But I told them, no, I have Jesus.
0: Wow. And God bless your parents who trained you up in the Lord. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you clung to him. Mm-hmm. So, Denise, let me ask you, um, what is your native language?
2: My native language is Kinyarwanda, Rwanda, but... I was not born in Rwanda. I was born in Burundi, grew up in Congo. Okay. Uh, but my, nep- my native language is Kenya Rwanda. Kenya? Kinyu- Kenya Rwanda.
0: Kenya Rwanda. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I only speak a little of that. Mm-hmm. And when I say a little, I mean none. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but you speak, what, six
2: languages, I understand? Uh, that's, yeah, I speak six languages uh, because uh, I'm Rwandan from my home yeah. country. But as I was born in Burundi, I speak Kirundi. I was also a teacher at primary school in Burundi. And uh, in Congo, as I grown up there, I speak Swahili. Wow. And uh, French it was uh, the language. And, and now I speak a bit English and a, a bit, bit German language.
0: A bit English. I'd say you're a doing bit ling- great ling- in the English <laughs> department, just <laughs> yes, so you know. Yes. Um, well, a, a group of uh, Hutu militia broke into your house mm-hmm. where you were hiding
2: mm-hmm.
0: and were poised to kill you, your your sons and the relatives that were in the house, with machetes mm-hmm. and other weapons. Mm-hmm. So when you met them, you say that all fear had left you. What was happening at that point that you weren't afraid?
2: Ah, of course I was afraid. I was afraid and uh, I lived in a very dangerous uh, time, not only when the Hutu attacked me. I said from 1990, when my husband was put into prison to the beginning of the genocide against the Tutsi, the four years for me, I I lived in a very dangerous time. When the Hutu came to attack my home, in my house, we were 10 people. My husband was not there. The details are in my book. Uh, We first, I knew that we are going to be killed because one of my neighbor who used to help me to go to make shopping, came back and told me the news, now this day you are going to be killed. It was uh, 16th of April. And when I heard this uh, message, first I went to my neighbor to tell him, you know, my neighbor, Her name was Goretti, you know, who are going to be killed. So as a Christian, from my faith, I came from a church of Pentecostal Church. She was from Catholic faith. And then I went to meet her, my neighbor, so that we can make peace before we die. And when we were talking, uh, exchanging, then the militias came. Then everyone must take away to flee. I fled in my house and I started to talk to my relatives who were in my house I have I had my cousins also my brother-in-law and we were there uh, 10 people and as I was the leader of uh, the family I uh, took them so first we must speak our last uh, prayer and uh, ask, ask for forgiveness so we took time to ask for forgiveness and uh, after that the militias, we heard that the militias are coming to attack our home. And my last word, I talked to them. I know that we are going to be killed, um, but I know that some of us will survive and others will be killed. My last word was rendezvous, au ciel, we will meet in heaven. Then I fled into the bathroom. I had my second son on my back and I was pregnant. And in the bathroom... In the bathroom there it was the place where the killers met me. And before they met me, really I had a very big struggle with God. Inner struggle. I talked to God, you disappointed me. You failed me. Why you never tell me the truth? That I will I'm going to be killed or I will die to prepare myself. You always tell me you I will you will protect me. Um, I will be with you, but now I see no other way to survive. Sometimes then I was thinking, maybe I did not uh, pray as well as God wanted. I start to like to judge myself. But I finally, I said, I'm coming to you. And I know that, yeah, I know that I'm going to be killed, But yeah. You failed me. It was like a, a, a discussion, and suddenly I lost all my fear. I became strong, 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 strong. And I was ready to die. But inside, I had peace really, a peace. I had no fear. And then I heard how the killers were discussing behind the door, and they broke in the door. They faced me. I had no fear. I had all how their machetes were full of blood. They have just killed my uh, cousins in my, my bed. And we had a dialogue. They asked me for money. I told them, we have, uh, you, I have no money. No, we are going to kill you. Then I said, okay, let me give you money. Then they opened the door. I went in my be- be- bedroom I met my cousins. Two of my cousins were down, bleeding, bleeding. Then I took money. I gave them, and one started to distribute the money to another, and another rose his sword. He wanted to kill me. Another stopped his hand, said, "Stop! Don't don't kill her." And then they went. Wow. To kill others, other. In my, in my area, mm-hmm. but it was not day, the last days to come to attack me. The next day they came again.
0: They came the next day? Of course. What were they coming the next day for?
2: <sighs> to to plunder. To plund, plunder, yeah. Plunder and mm-hmm. to kill me. But and? I was not in my house. Oh. I was already from the neighbors where I went to give birth to my third son.
0: Oh, so you're next door giving birth to your third son. They've returned to plunder and kill you.
2: Yeah, but the night before they the afternoon when they went, I must I went under. I took my my son. I mm-hmm. gave to my houseboy, the one who helped me, yes. and I must hide myself under the, ble- the bed, in the blood of my my cousins. So the afternoon. I was under the bed where I could even not move. And suddenly it was time to give birth.
0: So you're nine months pregnant, hiding underneath your bed. Yeah. You can't make a noise. You can't move. No. And you're laying in your relative's blood. Yes. All right. Wow. Denise Uimana is my guest. Her book is From Red Earth. Our Rwandan story of healing and forgiveness. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer and we pray for specific listener requests. Every week, share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. I'm back with my very special guest, Denise Uwimana. She's the founder of Ariba Shalom International, an organization that provides material and spiritual support to genocide survivors and their children. She now lives with her second husband, Dr. Wolfgang Reinhardt, in Germany, and together they continue to work for healing in Rwanda. An incredible story, Denise. Uh, Thank you for uh, sharing the details. It's painful to hear. I no doubt painful to recall, but I know you've detailed it in your book, and it's a page turner. So I want to ask you, uh, how have you learned to forgive? And maybe you can share what spiritual practices have mostly sustained you in this process of reconciliation.
2: Yeah, um, first I learned to forgive in my family. My family, uh, each each evening, it was like a culture to take time my Parents used to ask us to gather together before we sleep, to read um, a, a short uh, Bible verses in the Bible. And each one, each child, was asked uh, to say what how the day was. And uh, and uh, my uh, father, uh, he was more educated in, in the Christian faith, and uh, asked us to forgive each other. So, that means when we started to fight <laughs> as uh, siblings in the family, we ask for forgiveness. Forgive me, forgive me. Um, this is how I started. Um, but uh, <laughs> during the uh, genocide, this is another uh, step, a big step. How I came to uh, to forgive. It was not easy, but um, I would say that um, when I survived, I was deeply, very deeply traumatized. And as a Christian, a really very, very um, disappointed by my church who were uh, involved. Eh? Christian, as you know, the story of Rwanda, uh, Christians were involved in the genocide directly and indirectly for me uh, I had many many questions to ask God to challenge him why did you allow that one million of the Tutsi have been killed so and also had a time. I remember that how I was challenged God to uh, how did the, the, the Tutsi were killed how Will you speak to them at the judgment? So I have many questions as a Christian. Now I come to see I have survived. I'm there again in the surrounding my time in Bugarama where I see uh, the same people, not, not all, because uh, many were fled, but who uh, to fled the country, but there were neighbors who were still there. I saw them wearing my clothes, uh, I had many people said, oh, Denise, you know, uh, your your refrigerator is there, your um, equipment of the house are there, but I did not want to have nothing. And then, nothing back. And then the problems of forgiveness, it challenged me really uh, because I was... uh, Always after work, I come to my bedroom, I kneel before my bed. I was praying and asking God many questions. And um, uh, one day, a women who fl- um, fled the country came back. She came to us, you know, as you know, they, they, th- they killed us, they plundered everything, they went, now they come back, they have nothing, they come to beg. She came to me and uh, she wants something to eat on clothes. I said, oh, is that possible? She can dare to come to my house to ask something? They forgot what they have done. This is my inner struggling. But the voice of God told me, Oh, the needs, you survive by grace. Do not give, do the evil, back the evil. Do good things. You survive by grace. Give chance to these people to recognize that they have done it wrong. And I said to God, no, they are, they are no more, normal more people. They are not, so I I said, they are no more, they are cruel people. They are no more people. No, they are no, no longer normal people. They deserve not uh, uh, forgiveness. Even inside, I was expecting to see, "Aha, uh-huh, the new uh, government will come and kill all the who who killed us." This was in a, I was a Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. But the, uh, God told me, "No, you survive by grace. Give them a chance to recognize that they have done a wrong. Help them." Mm-hmm. And the one I was praying, I need bef- with my Bible. Suddenly, I opened my Bible. I got a verse which challenged me. Said in uh, Acts of um, Acts of um, Apostle, uh, chapter twenty six, verse uh, sixteen to eighteen, where it said, "Stand up, stand up! I have appointed you in my in my service. You will save me. You will testify what you have seen and what I have tell you. You will help people." To come out from darkness, to to come to the light, to help them to, uh, um, so that they can get also forgiveness, and become, yeah, to to receive also uh, the kingdom of God. As I explained that in my words, ah, this message was really strong in my in me, and I was someone who they tell, really said stand up, huh? I have uh, strength in me. And I lost my fear again. And I was the one, no Hutu, came to tell to Denise, Denise, apologize. No pastors, no one, no, who came to say, forgive, we have done wrong to you. Although I was there. But God helped me meet them. And I make the step. And a leader wow. of area who was there, he was in Hutu, helped me to gather people. And I spoke with them. I challenged them, why you have never come to meet me, to ask forgiveness? All looked down. They were ashamed. And then I told them, I'm coming to you because God told me to come to talk to you. What do you want from me? But before we speak about everything we, which happened, and they all were looking down I said, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Uh And I told them, I know the new government will put you in the prison, but God told me, I should tell you the wrong things. You should feel guilty of what you have done and to ask for forgiveness. And I told them, I forgive you. And one woman who was not ready to receive this grace of God said, Oh, Denise Forgive us, us like Jesus on the cross. At that time, I'm telling you the truth, I, myself, I learned again, God knew because I saw, again, knew how God loves his people.
0: Mm. So good. Mm. Denise, we have a couple minutes left. I'd love for you to tell us about your partnership with the projects in Rwanda and how uh, people in different countries can support your work.
2: Yeah, my work has the, our organization name is Iriba Shalom Interna- International. That means Iriba is a, a wellspring of peace. So we have a, a, so our work is a work to help people, of course, to heal from the trauma. It's it's a, a holistic work, and we help them spiritually, materially, as it it, say, it has it has said. And we have two partners in Rwanda. Uh, One organization is um, Shalom Ministries. They focus also to reconciliation. That means we have a grace in Rwanda that now we have um, a a unity and uh, reconciliation. Uh, That means we helped not only the survivors and those who came needy, we can also help them. And this work we have, and also we have uh, another uh, Riba Shalom Rwanda in the southwest where there is a really deep, deep trauma, mm-hmm. women we who were really, really, who struggle, experience very uh, bad things during the genocide, they still also suffer from the effect. So we have many different projects, trauma healing so we help them in the process of healing trauma in the Christian faith. They meet, they support each other in the nice. community. They pray. They so we have individual counseling, uh, the group counseling where they meet, they pray, they work together in the field huh? mm-hmm. uh, encourage each other. We have also we support young people in education. Now we have also a project. Mm-hmm. We have a big project of to help a senior all the elder widows to build a center where they can come together so that they will not die in with grief, to show them the yes, love of that's God. that's
0: beautiful. Mm. And you can probably go to a website to learn more about that. Ariba yes. Ariba Shalom, Shalom International. Yes, yes. I-R-I-B-A.
2: Yes.
0: And Ariba means what again? Ariba stands for what?
2: Iriba is a wellspring.
0: Wellspring, yeah. So, So peace, Shalom Mm. International. Mm. Denise, your story is amazing, and I'm so thrilled to meet you.
2: Thank you very much
0: for inviting me. Denise Uimana has been my guest. Her book is From Red Earth, a Rwandan Story of Healing and Forgiveness. We'll take a break and be right back.